RJ Politics is sponsored by AARP Nevada, representing over 335,000 members in the Silver State. AARP Nevada helps Nevadans over 50 and their loved ones live their best lives as they age. Visit aarp.org nv for more information. However you figure out the calendar, these states that currently play a large role, including Nevada, should continue to play some sort of role because it forces candidates to interact directly with voters. From the Las Vegas Review-Journal, this is RJ Politics. And I'm thrilled to be back in Nevada. Hello, Nevada. We're governor for all the state of Nevada. I have more energy than a pack of wolves. Nevada is enormously important. Welcome to RJ Politics. I'm Steve Sebelius, politics and government editor of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, alongside Rory Appleton, the RJ's political reporter. Today, we welcome to the podcast John Hishta, who's Senior Vice President of Campaigns for the American Association of Retired Persons, or AARP. The AARP is sponsoring a special caucus event with the Review-Journal on Monday to educate people about how to caucus, including early voting and in-person caucusing on February 22nd. The Review Journal will have extensive coverage of the caucus in the days leading up to the event and, of course, on caucus day itself. So today we'd like to discuss not only the importance of Nevada as an early state, but the importance of the older electorate in general. So, John, welcome to RJ Politics. Well, thank you for having me, guys. So uh, with Iowa maybe going to Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg and New Hampshire probably going to Bernie Sanders, what role do you think Nevada is going to play in the nomination this year? Well, I think it'll play a a very large role. And in particular, it is uh, really the first state with the possible exception of South Carolina that uh, um, voters will be a much more broad section of voters. And by that, I mean the multicultural communities will be much more represented in Nevada than they were, frankly, in Iowa or New Hampshire, uh, simply because of the makeup of the state in Nevada. And it's also the first state in the western part of the country that's holding a caucus. And so because the folks coming out of Iowa, and there's also a possibility that this will happen in New Hampshire, where there's no clear-cut front runner, you're going to have uh, Nevada as a, as a battleground, much like the uh, other two states have been here to four today. So I think it's supremely important and could be more important than it ever has been in years past in terms of uh, not just uh, delegates at stake, but also its symbolic value moving forward. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the reasons you just hit on why Nevada was elevated to an early spot in the caucus was its uh, minority population, uh, strong union population, large Hispanic and African-American population, very growing, very fast-growing AAPI population. But the polls seem to show in Nevada, as for the rest of the nation, that the same candidates are are doing well in Nevada as is doing well in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that's uh, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Mayor Pete. So, uh, and Tom Steyer, of course, coming up uh, uh, fast on that group. Right. So, uh, so it doesn't seem like the ethnic diversity of the state is reflected in those poll results. Well, I think that ultimately you're going to find that those four candidates, um, with the addition of uh, um, Tom Steyer, uh, are really the main candidates moving forward for the nomination. And so uh, um, I think that it's going to be really hard for some of these other candidates who are outliers to really play a role in the nomination process moving forward. So 
we'll have to see how it goes. But ultimately, among those four, they're all going to be very competitive, I suspect, in Nevada for a variety of different reasons. And we'll see how it comes out when it's all said and done. So, And they're all playing significantly uh, there as well with respect to their uh, visits and their uh, television advertising and so on and so forth. John, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think that the, the problems facing the Iowa caucus, I mean, clearly it's it's caused the shift in the logistics of how the Nevada caucuses will work, how the party is stuff. Do you think it might have an effect on the voters? Do you think that they might lose some faith in this in this caucus system that is still such a sort of a rare creature in, in our modern politics? Um, I certainly hope not, and I hope it doesn't. Um, and I think that Nevada will be ready, particularly after what happened in Iowa, um, to make sure that they have uh, um, everything organized appropriately. And as long as uh, um, everything goes well, I think that uh, voters won't lose faith, particularly in Nevada. And and frankly, you know, people have a short memory when it comes to this stuff. But all you have to do is go back to 2012 in the, in Iowa. And people may not recall that uh, um, Mitt Romney was declared on the Republican side, the winner coming out of the caucuses when, in fact, uh, um, Rick Santorum won, but they didn't announce it until the next day. And so um, we'll see where it heads. Uh, Ultimately, I think we're in the heat of the moment right now, but I I have full faith that uh, um, the the party in Nevada will uh, uh, come through uh, with shining colors. You know, a lot of people have suggested that uh, in addition to uh, Iowa, you know, losing its early spot in the caucus, and we can talk about that in a second, uh, but that the caucus system itself should be done away with in favor of of primaries uh, because uh, clearly, uh, as you pointed out, there was the Iowa mishap of of 2012. There's this year's uh, mishap, which is even worse. Nevada has seen some problems with its caucus. The Republicans had a very similar problem to Iowa, had to do a complete recount in in their caucus of 2012. And so right. it was just a disaster. Do you think the caucus system itself is is over and we should switch to primaries? Or do you think we ought to keep it? Um, I, I think that's up for debate. I think one of the uh, uh, arguments that you would make from a um, primary system is that it allows for uh, uh, more voter participation Potentially, because all you're doing is asking folks to, uh, um, you know, go to the regular voting booths and, and vote and move on, so to speak. And so I, I do think it's up for debate on, you know, what ultimately we're trying to accomplish in terms of participation in the democratic process. And so, but on the other hand, as well, as you guys are probably aware, you know, when you run state primaries like that, Ultimately, the states involved, they pay for it uh, um, and so on and so forth as well, whereas caucuses are are essentially private events run by the party, you know, from soup to nuts. So, um, you know, I think you could make arguments on both sides, but I think from a voter participation standpoint, you know, many would say that a primary is more effective. But, you know, I mean, history and uh, tradition and all of those things um, you know, come into play in these things. And it's really hard sometimes to, to change the way we go about our nominating processes. I think that people for years have talked about the demise of the current system. And there's always been, uh, you know, these efforts to play around with the schedule and so on and so forth. And, and it's pretty much been the same for the past several cycles. 
Yeah, tr- tradition does play sort of an outsized uh, outsized role. So, so that brings up the issue of the calendar and 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 the order on the calendar. Now, I know New Hampshire has a state law that declares that it must be the first state to have a primary, and uh, regardless of what the calendar says. So uh, even if we were to move the calendar up to, say, January 1st will be the first primary, it'll be somewhere other than New Hampshire. New Hampshire would move back and do it at Christmas time or something like that. But uh, do, do you think there's any merit to the idea of saying, hey, you know what, we should shake up the early system. We shouldn't have the same states. Maybe we should rotate what states go first, or maybe we should just change it and, and get a new order of states that are more diverse, more reflective of the population as a whole. Is there any merit to those arguments, you think? I think that there is some merit to a conversation about how the schedule progresses. I do think it's important for other parts of the country other than, say, um, you know, the Northeast or, or, or Iowa in this case to play such an outsized role. I would also say, though, that um, it's very beneficial for the process to have these candidates do a lot more one-on-one campaigning. And that's when you, you lose that when, you know, the calendar goes to such a degree where you, you know, some people will talk about a national primary or multi-state primaries, and essentially they become more air wars as opposed to on the ground campaigning. And I think Nevada has the, you know, people are able to do a lot of on the ground campaigning there, for instance. And I think that's a really important part of this process um, as we move forward, that presidential candidates do spend time in these states, do spend time interacting directly with voters, do have to go to town hall events and and meet with voters directly as opposed to just, uh, um, you know, running a lot of television advertisements and things of that nature. So however you figure out the calendar, these states that currently play a large role, including Nevada, should continue to play some sort of role because it forces candidates to interact directly with voters. And you're sure right about that. I know Rory and I, between us, have probably interviewed every major candidate uh, and, and most of the minor candidates, uh, and, and that's probably something right. that uh, a state of our size uh, wouldn't have any right to expect if we went to uh, any kind of national primary, or if Nevada wasn't as high in the calendar as it was, we'd, we'd never see those folks. That's uh, exactly uh, except right. Except for maybe a couple of days yeah, before Election Day. So, well, let's switch over and, and talk about uh, something that I know is near and dear to your heart, which is the older electorate. Uh, and by way of full disclosure, I should acknowledge that I am not only in that older electorate, but I'm also a member of AARP. So, uh, so I'm not Excellent. I'm not just a pretty face on the uh, on the podcast here. Um, but uh, we know that older people vote in greater numbers. That's a kind of a accepted wisdom. It's uh, proven by uh, exit polls, proven by all sorts of science. Let me ask you why that is. Is that just because older people have been doing it longer? It's tradition. Uh, they have more in the game. What, why is it that older people vote more than younger people do? Well, I think uh, um, it, there's tradition to it. I think there's practice to it. I also think that the, uh, older voters tend to have more of a stake in their communities because the longevity of being there, hmm. even if they're transplants, they tend to take a more active interest in their communities. Um, and uh, they, they just have the sense of uh, um, 
the importance of the political process. And over the years, it's been proven that uh, they show up much more so than, than younger voters across the board. And from younger voters' standpoint, they're moving around a lot more. They're uh, they're just getting started with their lives and their careers, and so on and so forth. And and for whatever reason, older voters just place a, a voting higher up in their priority for for a large degree. And you know, they're much more worried about issues that directly affect them. It seems to be the case, particularly around issues like Medicare and Social Security and retirement security and those things. And it's just they do pay more attention and they seem to have uh, a more invested in the process for whatever reason. So, John, I'm uh, the token millennial here and, <laughs> and decades away from my own AARP membership. So what do you think? Do you think that that will ever change? Do you think that there's any sort of way to get younger folks? It seems like every cycle, every generation, it's about you know, trying to get more younger folks engaged and stuff. Do you think that there's any way to do that? Or do you think that, like you said, the, the experience, the the uh, investment in the community and stuff like that, there's just kind of no way to to build that in, in somebody who just doesn't have that experience? Well, I think uh, um, to a large degree, um, for all intents and purposes, the cynicism that is has been injected in politics uh, – certainly drives some of that lack of enthusiasm for younger people in particular because they've grown up in this area where, frankly, partisan politics has just been so bad that they probably view the world through that prism more so than older voters who have had, at least from an age standpoint, the privilege of going back in time and being able to look at the impact of their vote over a longer period of time. And I think we have to figure out a way to create, you know, uh, an atmosphere of uh, more positive that allows for younger voters to feel like their uh, vote means something at the end of the day. And and that's not an easy thing to do. And, and we have to figure out a way to get them more motivated and, and, and convince them that they play a, a, a crucial role in this society. And this is part of it. And you know, um, and it's it's something that is just going to take time. But I do think that the environment we're in, you know, compounds the fact that people probably sit there and they go, oh my God, all these people do is fight all day long. And so why should we bother voting? John, can you tell me and maybe some other folks who, who might not know what the AARP's sort of role is in terms of educating voters, in terms of, you know, getting people, you know, more information on the process and maybe forecast, you know, the event coming up pretty soon? Sure. And, you know, for obvious reasons, our priority is um, the 50 plus voter. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure we do everything we can to educate uh, voters in this case on the uh, caucus process and the way to go about it and the way to participate. At the same time, it, from a more broad standpoint, we certainly want to be in a position where we do our best to give our members and in, in the voting electorate an opportunity to hear from the candidates on specific issues that we care mostly about, things like Social Security, things like Medicare, prescription drugs, and so on and so forth. So we want to play a role as a convener, if you will, to make sure that uh, um, the general voting population and our AARP members know where the candidates stand on these issues and have an opportunity to hear from candidates 
not just as they go through this caucus process, but uh, eventually as we get into the general election as well. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of that particular segment, we're just talking about older voters now. What role do you think they're going to play in this uh, election? How, how do you think they're going to? And, and I imagine the AARP has members who are Republicans, who are Democrats, probably Libertarians, uh, Green Party, whatever, what have you. Um, but what role w- will those voters, as a age group, play in this next election? Oh, I think they'll be huge. Uh, um, we know just from history, when you look at, for instance, um, we did an analysis after the 2018 elections, and just in the state of Nevada alone, the electorate, you know, 50-plus voters made up 60% of the electorate. So that just tells you right there the power of that vote when it comes to deciding elections. And so candidates are going to have to speak to that part of the electorate and the issues that they care about. And as you said, we have uh, members on both sides of the aisle. We pride ourselves on being nonpartisan. We just want to be in a position that allows for these candidates to speak to this electorate on the issues they care about. So we'll do things once you know we get through the caucuses, like uh, holding town halls and, and, and forums and so on and so forth, so that our members and the 50-plus electorate can hear directly from, from the candidates on these issues. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, you, you talk to uh, a lot of older voters, I imagine, in your job uh, there with the AARP and, and uh, working on campaigns. What do you tell, do you, do you just give them the standard speech, you know, civic duty and, and having a role in your government and, and, you know, addressing issues that are important to you personally? When you tell older voters, here's why it's important for you to turn out and do this. We know that uh, older voters do turn out, so somebody is, is, is getting that, uh, that uh, turnout high. Well, what do you tell them about the most important thing of why they need to get out there and either participate in a caucus, participate in a primary, or show up on election day in the general? Well, ultimately, uh, the people that we elect have a direct influence on, on their lives on a regular basis. Uh, and, and that's what we talk about. Everything from, again, I come back to you know, the regularity and the size of their Social Security checks, whether the Social Security program will continue to be uh, um, in good shape over the next several generations, Uh, um, how the Medicare system functions, whether or not that will continue to be in good shape over the next uh, um, several generations. Those those things are really important to older voters, and they know that in particular in this case, federal office holders play a a serious role in in the, um, the soundness of those programs. So um, let me ask you this. This uh, You've said AARP is nonpartisan. Correct. Uh, and so uh, you don't, uh, uh, you know, take uh, partisan positions. But it also sounds like from what you're saying about the issues that are important uh, to the older voters, if I was a candidate who said, look, I support uh, making sure that everybody has health insurance, I support uh, Medicare being able to negotiate uh, with drug companies to lower prescription drug prices, uh, I, I support no changes to Social Security except for maybe raising uh, the uh, withholding limit uh, to uh, increase the pool so that the date of Social Security being insolvent is pushed out further versus a candidate who says, look, I, I support the re- total repeal of the Affordable Care Act. I don't think the Medicare should negotiate for drug prices. 
And uh, I, I don't think uh, that the government has any business in mandating that everybody get coverage. It's just something that I, I don't believe in. It sounds like the former candidate would really be a candidate speaking uh, the language that AARP members want to hear as opposed to the latter candidate. Am I right? Well, I think it depends on the individual issue. And as I hate to, uh, I don't mean to cop out, but obviously the devil's in the details on some of these things. But to a large degree, yeah, I mean, you're talking about issues that uh, um, we support and have uh, um, enunciated in, in over the past several years in terms of what's important to us. So obviously, you know, uh, um, we're going to make sure that our members and the, the electorate know where the candidates stand, and we're going to encourage the candidates frankly, to uh, um, make sure they get into specifics when it comes to talking about what they're trying to do and, and, and also offer uh, um, some, some stances or, or some assurances that if they're in office, they're going to make sure these programs are around. They're going to do their darndest to make sure people do have affordable health care and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just depends on the issue. It depends on how the uh, um, candidate comes to it. But clearly, we want to make sure that the voters understand where the candidates stand on the specific issues as you outlined. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we will be doing that on Monday uh, here in Las Vegas. Uh, so we look forward to welcoming you to, to town in person uh, there. But we thank you very much for your time and uh, uh, being here on the uh, podcast with us. John Hishta, Senior Vice President of Campaigns for the AARP. Thanks again for your time, John. Thank you. Thanks, John. Well, that is all the time we have for RJ Politics this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. We definitely appreciate your time. If you have liked what you've heard on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, you might as well give us a rating. You can find both of your hosts on Twitter. Check out at Steve Sebelius or at Rory Does Phonics and follow us on Twitter there. We'll see you right here next week for RJ Politics. I'm Steve Sebelius. And I'm Rory Appleton. And thank you for listening. <laughs>